Welcome to the My Essential Birth Podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Stephanie. And we're professional doulas, childbirth educators, and the creators of My Essential Birth, the holistic, empowering online childbirth education course helping mothers everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. So join us each week as we share tips and advice for all things pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you can be the first to get new content. And head over to www.myessentialbirth.com for more information about our birth course and to join a community of mamas just like you. Before we get started, we would like to invite you to leave a review for this podcast in iTunes. It's a brand new show, and it's really important in the launch of a new podcast to gather reviews. Will you please help us spread the word by leaving a review so that more mamas have a chance of finding this podcast when they search for one? We read every single review, and we promise to keep doing that. We love what everyone, all of you ladies, have been saying about the Pregnancy and Birth Made Easy podcast here with My Essential Birth. So thank you, everyone, for your continued support. Our reviewer of the week is LaneyB22. She said, empowered to manage my own birth. Ladies, I love this podcast. A huge thank you for your passion and commitment to helping women own their birth instead of birth being something that happens to them. Ooh, I love that. Sorry. (laughs) I am pregnant with my first and was completely oblivious to all the details that would help me feel both mentally and physically prepared for delivery. I tell all my pregnant friends about your podcast and Instagram page. I'm sure your birthing class is fantastic too, but we already had one booked locally. Keep it up, please. It's appreciated. (laughs) Um, Thank you for spreading the word to friends um, about our Instagram, about our podcast, about our course. Um, Stephanie and I, we are just two stay-at-home moms. We (laughs) homeschool our kids. And so being able to have reviews come in, being able to have you guys share organically our course, our podcast, our Instagram page, that's really what allows us to continue this work that we do. So thank you. And I love that you are sharing it even though you're already in a birth course. I've heard several women who are already taking a birth course and this is such an incredible supplement for them. So I just absolutely love that. I want to say thank you. Welcome to a topic that we get asked about all the time. How do I jumpstart my birth? Um, We wanted to title this podcast, Let's Get It Started. And all I could think about was the song from the Black Eyed Peas, Let's Get It Started. Um, Because I know that that's your favorite band. (laughs) No, seriously, we probably had a million people tune out now that they just heard that. It's okay. We're done talking about the Black Eyed Peas. Um, But for real, let's talk about ways that you can get labor going on your own when you need it to. But the first thing we need to address is how do you know when you would want to utilize the tools that we're going to share? So number one typically has to do with a provider, a provider putting some kind of due date on things, like maybe going off of your due date and not wanting you to pass that date or maybe 41 weeks or whatever it be. So if that's the case, we said it before, make sure that you got a provider that you trust because if you get to the end of your pregnancy, this will come up in one way or another and you need to know where you stand. Another reason why an induction might be necessary for you is if you have medical necessity. So if you're showing signs of preeclampsia, you know, they test their, your urine, they do the blood pressure checks and things aren't looking super great, your doctor might recommend um, an induction so that they can avoid some of the complications that come with preeclampsia. 
Along with that would be gestational diabetes. And gestational diabetes by itself is not necessarily a reason for induction, but you do run the risk of some different complications, including a bigger baby, which, like, you know, we talk about all the time. Bigger babies <laughs> are not a reason for induction alone. But when you have um, another kind of health issue, then it's really important to have a provider you trust that you can work with and, and decide those things on your own. Another reason why an induction of labor might be necessary is if you your water breaks, that's what starts your labor, but you have no contractions. Sometimes when your water breaks, a provider may put you on a 24-hour timeline. Um, this has actually been debunked. That's not always, right? Yeah, it's not always the best practice. However, um, particularly if you're de delivering in a hospital setting, there are policies and practices and things with their insurance for that hospital or whatever that they have to, there are guidelines that they have to follow to say that they chose the best practices, um, safest for mom and baby. So typically with a water breaking scenario, you're looking at like a delivery within what, 10 to 24 hours with the buried range in there. So keep that in mind. It really depends on your hospital, your provider. Mm -hmm. I know if you have a home birth midwife, it might be different. Um, a birth center midwife, same thing, or maybe a midwife in general, but just know that those things exist. And so it can be a reason to try to get some things going on your own at home. And one of the reasons that they'll cite, just so you know, is that they'll say that their concern is for uterine infection um, that can cause some complications and they're trying to avoid that. And so they'll put you on the clock, we call it. Right, but the biggest risk of uterine infection is actually having vaginal checks after mm -hmm. uh, vaginal exams after your water has broken. So pushing good bacteria that's located in your vagina in a place it's not meant to be, which would be your uterus, and then you could create an infection. That's a very real thing. So we always say, no matter what, when your water breaks during labor, before or during, try to minimize the vaginal exams. So let's talk about some examples of when an induction, even if your provider says, hey, we, we should induce you, examples of things that really aren't good reasons for induction. Um, one of those Stephanie mentioned is birth weight. We're hearing way too many women come and say, well, my doctor did an ultrasound at this many weeks in my third trimester, and they're saying that they think my baby's going to be big, so they want to induce me. Um, that's not okay, especially because those ultrasound weight guesstimates have been shown to be off by a lot. By pounds. So if we don't stress this enough, you guys, these ultrasounds are not an accurate way to measure a baby's weight inside of your body. It doesn't count. Even that and fundal height and all the things, and they get it wrong time and time again. So keep that in mind. It's just kind of something to have in the back of your head, but I think it's important to know. Like it, they Sometimes I feel like it's presented as this like perfect science, and it's so not. <laughs> so I, I think under the, the line of like this could be medically necessary is if you're maybe looking at baby in the uterus, and you're also doing that non-stress test. Mm -hmm. So if you've got continued failed non-stress tests, in other words, baby's not handling things well even before labor begins, then we're talking, and you're like 41 weeks or whatever. Then, then we've got some issues. If they're checking on the placenta, got, the blood flow's not yeah. right. Then it's then that's it's a legitimate legit. right reason. Too legit. Mm -hmm. um, I think we need to be careful in any circumstance where we start to think that technology is smarter than um, nature. So just just be aware of that. Another reason, an example of an induction that wouldn't be necessary is if your provider or you are wanting an induction because of a holiday or a weekend or your husband's going to go out of town or your provider is going to go on vacation. These 
I mean, you'll have to weigh the benefits and the risks for yourself. Um, maybe you have a lot of anxiety about working with any other provider in, in that group, but um, these are typically not good reasons for induction. And that conversation should be had during the pregnancy to know if this is a risk for you. Are they planning any vacations during that time? Is there a reason that they wouldn't be there? Um, same with your husband or your partner. Um, and then along with that, be aware, like we're not here to scare you, but I do think it's fair for you to understand that risk of induction or the numbers of induction increase with holidays, with with weekends. Um, so doctors, providers maybe don't want to be there during these times. I know that sounds rude to say, but and I can appreciate that to an extent, but it may be a time for them to encourage an induction, um, even when you might not be feeling so great about that. We've kind of debunked this already on one of our prior episodes about advanced maternal age, but being over the age of 35 alone is not a reason to induce. So if you're curious about what the statistics are and why it really is not a reason by itself to induce, head back to that episode and read through it because particularly if you have had a baby prior to 35 and you are pregnant again with another baby, your risks of having a stillbirth, for example, are less than a mom who is over the age of 35 and pregnant for her first time. So keep that in mind. And then even for a mom who is pregnant over 35 and for her first time, they should still, best practice would be to do a non-stress test, to do all the other things before just calling it because of a fear of that. So definitely check out those statistics. I've heard of some providers recommending or offering induction because they're like, come on, I'm sure you'll be sick of being pregnant by 39 weeks. And you might even (laughs) be sick of being pregnant starting at 37 weeks, but this really isn't a good reason for an induction of labor. Yeah, family coming to help is another one that we hear a lot. Well, I live out of state and my mom's only going to be here for this week. or And that is something to consider. That's true. But you need to weigh that against maybe what's best for your baby and your health. And maybe you were also weighing that against your mental health. Like, are you going to be okay? Are you going to have some of these things? So um, we're not choosing sides here, but it's not a necessary induction in the way of medical means. Another reason for an unnecessary induction would be if you're trying to hit a certain tax credit. I remember, <laughs> I remember, and we had a laugh about it, but my brother, his little boy was due something like December 28th. And they're like, come on, we want him born before, <laughs> uh, before the end of the year so that we can claim the tax, the child tax credit for this year. Uh, that's not necessarily a great reason. Um, also, insurance purposes, um, meeting deductibles. I know that some people, their insurance policies run per calendar year, January to January, but I know in our case, um, ours goes from October to to October. And so maybe you've had some uh, medical things in your life that have made it so you've met your deductible and you're like, I really need this baby to come before that deductible clock resets over. Um, I can understand why you would (laughs) want a baby to come, but that's not necessarily a great reason for an induction of labor. And finally, for our list, although there, I'm sure that there are much more, um, VBAC. So if you are planning a vaginal birth after cesarean, oftentimes a provider, and I would ask you to ask around for some different providers, will tell you that there has to be a timeline. Because you're a VBAC, there's a greater risk of whatever after you pass your due date. That's not necessarily true. I would definitely urge you to go find the research on that on your own. Um, But I will tell you, even from my very own experience, my baby that just stated the longest was my second VBAC, and he was born at 41 weeks. There's nothing that says just because you've gone over a certain date that it makes your VBAC any more less likely or less successful. So definitely do the research on your own. All right, so you might be sitting here wondering, 
You guys said that this was going to be a podcast <laughs> episode about ways to get labor going on your own at home, ways to jumpstart birth naturally. Um, so why did we just spend 12 minutes talking about induction and what's necessary and what's not? Um, because most of the questions that we get are from women who are being forced into an induction. I feel like it's extremely important to like shout from the rooftop, this is not your first and only option. So these are actual legitimate reasons. And if you're not sure about yours, and no, we don't give medical advice, no, we are not healthcare providers, but hands down, you can ask us and we will give you the best information we have and then send you back with questions for your provider. So without further ado, let's get into ways that you can jumpstart your birth um, from the comfort of your home. I think when we talk about doing things in advance or any kind of preventative maintenance for making sure that things go well, the number one thing that you can start earliest is to eat six dates a day. And this might sound so silly. Um, and there's very, the studies there's that have been done studies. are very small. But they, the, the information and what they found was actually really good. So if you eat six dates a day for the last six weeks of pregnancy or starting at 34 weeks, and we say half of like the medjool or large dates or a whole if they're small dates, then it actually is able to, what they noticed and what they found in these studies is it softens and prepares the cervix for labor as well as it helps your bowels. So something that is recommended like kind of as a last ditch effort before you're talking about medical induction is castor oil. That's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just like from your mom's era. I've done it. Jokey, funny thing. Yes. So, and when you take castor oil, now this is going to do it on a much lower level, but something that it does is it loosens your bowels and loose bowels can actually be a trigger to start contractions. In fact, you'll, you might notice in early labor, like, oh my gosh, like I've got diarrhea or I'm clearing out and that's exactly what's happening. You're making right. room for baby. So well, without being gross, when you've had diarrhea before and you know, you've had it, um, you have that cramping, right? That yeah, that's very similar to the kind of cramping that you feel with contractions. They kind of stimulate. Yeah. And ca castor oil can be can cause the cramping. Don't worry, the dates will not cause the cramping. Another thing you can do, kind of along the lines of preventative, you can do this in advance. Um, I've talked on Instagram stories about some medicinal herbs that can be taken to really help again prepare the cervix and the uterus for um, easier birthing. And um, there's been a couple that I've heard a lot of women use with success. There's a Dr. Christopher's formula um, that you can find. And then the ones that I used were from a company called Wish Garden Herbs. And um, with any of these things, we would just recommend that, you know, you can get them. You can buy them on Amazon. You can buy them off the internet. Um, but just hopefully by now you've got a provider that you can trust and just let them know this is this is what I'd like to do. Just wanted to make sure you were cool with it. Um, just make sure you're doing it under the care of a provider. Yeah, and especially since we don't know everybody's individual medical histories and all of that, there may be legitimate reasons that a woman should or should not do something. But I do feel um, personally and professionally that they can be quite effective in helping your body to have an easier time moving through the stages of birth. I wish I had that same experience. <laughs> I did take a late labor pregnancy tonic with my third baby in hopes that it would do that. And it was actually my chiropractor. She was a female chiropractor and she was pregnant at the time and she had had her first baby with this home birth midwife. Yeah. And she's like, I swear by this stuff, you've got to take it. <laughs> and so I asked the midwife and she's like, oh yeah, totally take it. No. So don't be upset if you do take it. <laughs> I Like maybe, maybe it did do some, you know what I mean? It didn't have the effect that it was supposed to technically have, but right. so don't be upset if you take it and you're just, we want to give you all the options so that you feel like you've got the best prep that you possibly can. 
And along with that, um, keep in mind, we've always got the three free exercise guide. You guys can download that at myessentialbirth.com. And the thing about the exercises is it's not just toning and strengthening and helping things open up or whatever. It's all about getting your baby in a better position and then strengthening your perineal area and your legs to, to go through the actual birth. But if you're talking about like coming up to an induction, one of the trickiest parts or the most frustrating things that can cause some stalls or some hiccups or whatever is a baby in a malposition. Mm -hmm. They're not in a good position to be going through the birth canal. And sometimes that's what can take the majority of labor is getting that baby to that key to the hole, you know? Well, if you're slow to dilate, it's because a lot of times you have baby's head isn't putting enough pressure on the cervix or it's not doing it the right way. And that's oftentimes because they're, they're too high up and um, again, that just comes from poor fetal positioning. So really, we're not just saying these exercises because we want to help you stay toned and fit. I mean, that's great. <laughs> that's like a side benefit. But really, it's to get your baby, like Stephanie said, in a really great position so that they're putting the right amount of pressure on your cervix to help it to dilate, um, that they're in a position to continue moving through your pelvis, through the birth canal, so that birth doesn't have stalls or lose steam. Another great preventative thing that you can do to help prep your body for birth is to drink an herbal tea. It's red raspberry leaf tea. I really feel like this is a great thing to do um, for women in childbearing years period. Um, it's just a wonderful tonic for your uterus and um, I just feel like it's a great one to have. Yeah, and it tastes really good. Like for me, I don't drink caffeine or anything like that, but it does have the taste of like a richer black tea or like a mild black tea. And so I absolutely loved it. Um, it is recommended that that's done after 35 weeks in the event that it can, as it tones that uterus, cause some contractions. So just keep that in mind. All right, so now we're going to move into the list of things that are a little more, these are going to get things heating up and going a little bit more easily. We've talked about things that you can do in advance of birth in order to help get your body ready. But now we're going to talk about like, okay, you're under the gun. Mm -hmm. You really need to see some results. And so let's talk about those. Yeah. The first one is pretty simple. It's walking, but I think along with walking, so just like a regular walk every day, even 20 minutes, um, because you'll notice like if you're vacuuming or doing some kind of whatever around the house, maybe you're noticing those Braxton Hicks. We want to encourage some of that. But along with that, the thing that works very well is intercourse. <laughs> so some intercourse, some walking together, there's, what are the reasons behind that? Well, um, semen is a natural prostaglandin, meaning it naturally helps to soften your cervix. And as you can guess, a softer cervix is more pliable, it's more easily dilatable, is that mm -hmm. a word? Yeah, it is now. <laughs> and, um, and so that's really helpful. Also, um, a woman's ability to climax during intercourse is going to cause some spasms almost of the uterus and that can help as well with getting things stimulated for labor. Yeah, you brought up a good point and I feel like this is becoming, I've thought this for a while, but I feel like it's it's just really, really true and prevalent. So we talk a lot about a bishop score, okay? A bishop score, it, we didn't create this and so the scoring is done from like a medical standpoint and you're given two points for each section. So two points for your dilation, two points for how soft your cervix is, two points for the location. And what I have noticed as a birth doula and being in a birth setting is particularly if your cervix is soft leading up to the birth, even if it is six centimeters dilated and it is not soft, I feel like you're in a worse position than it being totally ripe and, um, and more effaced but no dilation. Yeah. Does that make sense? So the more ripe 
and like ripe and effaced your cervix is when you come to a birth, I feel like the greater chance for induction. So even though they're technically given all the same numbers, I want to put a little more weight onto that. And you say greater chance, meaning like you're going to have a better response yes. to the induction. So right? a greater chance is specifically for a medical induction. So we're talking about natural things you can do to get birth moving. But when we're talking when like medical induction and what they do once you're in there, putting prostaglandins, using a Foley bulb, using Pitocin, all of those things, are, there's a greater chance for them to work if your score is higher on that Bishop score. But I feel like I want to put an emphasis on that cervix. Being soft. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Another thing you can do at home to help get your... Uh, birth kick started is nipple stimulation. Um, you can combine this with the last idea we gave you in our course. Just kind of, you know, check three boxes with one act there. We're trying to be very careful about the words we choose in case you have little ones listening along with you in the car. Also so that we don't get flagged as being explicit here. Um, but nipple stimulation is a great one to do because it helps, again, to stimulate oxytocin, which is the goal of, of a lot of these things here. Um, so anyway, you can manually do this with your hands. You can also, if you've invested in a breast pump, um, you can also hook yourself up to that for a bit. Um, just be cautious. You don't want to be like, you know, pumping, going crazy. <laughs> going crazy with it, but certainly rounds of about, you know, 10 to 15 minutes or so are totally acceptable. And if you happen to express some breast milk, when you are pumping, um, it's okay. You can totally save it for your baby. You can freeze it if you get enough. Um, that's okay. Along with that, just some quick, simple things. Um, acupressure, there are acupressure points. We talk about these within the birth course. Acupuncture, chiropractic care, and massage can all be something that can help stimulate contractions and get a labor going. Um, another one that we wanted to make you aware of is Clary Sage Essential Oil. Again, you want to be really careful. You don't want to pick it up at Walmart or other places. You want to make sure you're getting it from a place that does extensive testing to make sure that they've got something that's pure and potent for you. But Clary Sage Essential Oil applied to some of these pressure points that Stephanie mentioned um, can be effective for some women in helping to get their birth going. We kind of grazed over just some of those last things and we didn't get into everything that we would cover in the birth course because we like to save that information for the people who are already in there. Um, we really love and protect our members in there and we feed them all the good things. So if you are a member of the birth course, then you know exactly what we're talking about. But this includes like an entire round of here's exactly how to get it started, the time amounts and the, the order and all of that as well. That's right. So if you're going, oh, I just, I kind of want to dive deeper into this topic. I need more specifics. Then you may want to consider um, purchasing the My Essential Birth Course because we have cheat sheets, we have guides, we have it spelled out for you. Not only things that you can do to get labor started, but what do you do if you're already in labor and you hit some, you hit some stalls, right? That failure to progress that it's sometimes called. Um, that's information that we reserve for our students because we, we want to give them the full picture in a really clear laid out format. And it's just a lot of information. And, and I think too, like once you're in the birth course, once you're in the Facebook group and you've got the questions specific to your pregnancy, your birth, then we can get real detailed on, mm -hmm. you know, we do a live or we do a video and we're like, here's exactly what you need to do. And then everybody gets to be that too. So keep that in mind. But we did want to talk about something we get asked about often, which are membrane sweeps. And um, there's some information that you need to know. But first, let's talk about, Stephanie, what is a membrane sweep in case they're unfamiliar? 
So this is a manual manipulation. In other words, you need a healthcare provider to do this. Don't let your partner or husband give it a try. Um, but a doctor will actually go in through the vagina and in through the cervix and try to remove or peel off the bag of water, separate the bag of waters from the uterine lining. So doing that kind of stimulates, hopefully, some contractions. It kind of is like, hey, what's going on there? And the body starts to move if it's done, if, if your body reacts to it well. Um, what this will feel like for you if you're the recipient of a membrane sweep is we all know that vaginal exams um, can often be sort of unpleasant depending on who's doing it. <laughs> um, but a membrane sweep feels like a super rough vaginal exam. It doesn't it doesn't feel super great. Just, you know, really rough vaginal exam. So do membrane sweeps work? Oftentimes, yes, not always. Stephanie and I were talking about this. Sometimes it may take, you know, two or even three membrane sweeps for you to start to feel the results of that contractions or things like that. But as you consider this procedure, and it is a procedure, I want you to look at it in terms of the context of your situation. So if I knew that my provider was going to be inducing me at 41 weeks because that's their policy and that's just what they do and there's no ifs, ands, or buts and maybe, you know, that's the best provider, most supportive I could find, um, and I'm 40 weeks, then what I might do is say, can we schedule a membrane sweep every other day leading up to this induction? Because if I had to pick personally between um, an induction with Pitocin or a membrane sweep, I'm going to choose the membrane sweep, right? So it's, it's very helpful and it's a wonderful tool. It's one of many tools that you can use. You just need to apply it to the context of the situation that you're in. We want you to be aware that if you have tested positive for GBS, that this may be kind of a little flag for you where you have to decide, you know, am I really, like you mentioned, like is it a situation where I really have to decide right now that I need to get things going or is there another reason that I'm trying to get things going and maybe I should pause. Some women that have tested GBS positive and have had membrane sweeps have contracted um, or have gotten sick. And so that means that they had like flu-like symptoms throughout their entire labor, it did throw them into labor, and then they got sick, and then there's antibiotics, and then baby might need a NICU stay. Obviously, those would be worst case scenarios, but I think it's fair that you have that information. And then on top of that, if a membrane sweep doesn't work, it may be something like you go home and you've got cramping, and maybe you have contractions and it keeps you up all night, but it doesn't amount to anything. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind too, that that's just um, another effect that can happen. I've also had women though, moms who have had maybe days of prodromal labor, meaning stop and go labor. They're contracting all through the night and by morning it goes away and during the day they're fine and it leaves them feeling completely exhausted. Usually when I hear about situations like this, in my mind, there's a little alert going, this is probably a an issue to do with baby's position within the uterus. But I have had success where students have gone in after maybe a couple days of this and they've had a membrane sweep or two done and that's what helps kind of tip them over the edge finally to be able to go into labor that results in a baby. So, but it's like pieces of a puzzle, you guys. You wanna fit it all together. We can't just look at one isolated thing like membrane sweeps without understanding the bigger picture. You. If you're gonna have a membrane sweep done, you also wanna make sure that you're doing the exercises that to make sure that baby's in a good position for birth. So there's just all kinds of different things you need to evaluate. We really hope that this episode was totally helpful for all of you who have given us all the questions about induction specifically or how to get things going. Make sure to leave us a review on iTunes. 
We absolutely love reading them and it really does help other women find this podcast. We hope that your takeaways from this episode have been understanding the differences between necessary induction and unnecessary induction. If you're facing a medically necessary induction, then there's probably things that you're going to want to do to get labor going on its own so that you maybe don't have to necessarily utilize Pitocin or other forms of medical induction. And so we hope we've given you some ideas of things that you can do um, before you even begin reaching your due date. We hope we've given you ideas of things that you can do um, when you really need results quickly. And so kind of put it all together, understand your situation, weigh the risks and benefits of the reasons that you have for wanting to jumpstart your birth. And then if you choose to utilize any of these, let us know how it goes. Send us a DM. What worked for you? Did you try the herbs and they didn't turn out so great? Like Stephanie said, like, let us know your thoughts and feelings. And keep in mind that as always, we support your decision. So while we give you all the information that we possibly can here, we believe in mother's intuition and in your choice. So there's no wrong answers. Just know that you have our support.